chapter 3, verses 18 to 22. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, I believe that's on page 589. The context of 1 Peter is Peter speaking to the saints who are undergoing great suffering and persecution for the cause of Christ. And we've discussed that many times. It was horrible persecution in that day. But it's also a type of persecution that continues all over the world today in many, many places, of which believers in America know very little. You and I are just a tiny fraction of all the Christians who have ever lived. We are not the norm, but someday we may become part of the norm. The tide is turning in America against the Christian faith, and we need to be prepared to stand for Christ and willing to suffer for his name. For the vast majority of the world throughout history, being a Christian has not been safe. Early in church history, every follower of Christ knew that sooner or later he may testify to his faith at the cost of his life. Men and women who were so devoted to Jesus that they were willing to die for him. And yet the church was spreading like wildfire. There was evangelism that was being done with no promise of things getting better for them on this earth, but likely would get worse. And now we consider some countries to be closed to the gospel because it's not safe to go there. And I would submit to you that neither Peter nor Paul would have ever considered such a concept. Bold men of faith who are willing to stand for Christ and to speak the truth in the face of persecution. We fear a lot in life. We worry about this and we worry about that. When it comes to sharing the gospel, when it comes to being a witness, what do you fear? Or better yet, who do you fear? Man's greatest need on this earth is to know our creator and our savior. Our Lord God is who we should fear. And Blake's been touching on that in the book of Proverbs. Sinful man's greatest enemy is not China, it's not Russia, it's not North Korea, it's not Iran, or it's not any Arab nation. Our enemy is not physical, but spiritual. And you may say, oh, I know where you're going with that, it's Satan. No, your greatest potential enemy is God himself. And you may think that sounds kind of harsh, but think through scriptural truth. Though its creator, God is the most destructive power in all of the universe. He gave life to the universe, but one day he will destroy it and heaven and earth will pass away. He gave you physical life and me physical life and one day he will take it away. Isaiah 40, verse 6 says, All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. 
Surely the people are grass. God himself is a clear and present danger. Jesus said in Matthew 10, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We are to fear the one who can bring about our eternal ruin if we reject his son, Jesus Christ. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We are told that God is on our side, that God loves everybody unconditionally with love that seeks their well-being. The truth is, God is the enemy of every sinner. Deuteronomy 4.24, for the Lord God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. In the Lord's day of vengeance, Isaiah 63 speaks of it, and this is God speaking, I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the people no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood splattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption had come. It was that passage that gripped Jonathan Edwards when he preached the great sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. God came in judgment against Adam and Eve and he cursed them. He came in judgment against Cain and cursed him. And soon thereafter, he came and cast judgment on the entire world in the days of Noah, and millions were killed in the flood, and only eight were spared. Later, the firstborn of Egypt, then the Israelites who worshiped the golden calf, and on and on through history until one day, Revelation 20 says he will gather all the dead of all human history who are not his and he will judge them and cast them into the lake of fire forever. That is the deadliness of a holy God who cannot and will not tolerate intolerance, or excuse me, unrighteousness. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Man is in eternal danger apart from Christ. God is the lawgiver, he is the judge, he is the prison keeper. He is the warden of the prison, and ultimately, he is the executioner. Hebrews 10, 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But Psalm 115, verse 13 says, he will bless those who fear him. Understanding all of this is critical to understanding the wonder and the beauty of the sufferings of Christ because we do not have to come under the judgment of Almighty God. Only then can we understand why Christ died. To triumph over sin and death on our behalf. Our passage today in 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 18, if you will look there, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. 
in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formally did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Peter begins this passage with the death of Christ in verse 18, and he ends it in verse 21 with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you look at this in context, verse 17, the verse preceding this, Peter calls Christians to suffer, and that is if that is God's will for them. It says, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Sometimes it is God's will that we suffer for doing what is right. And for this, you and I need understanding and encouragement and hope in Christ. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered. Peter here is beginning to explain God's will that we suffer for doing what is right. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, so it's the verse immediately following this, following this section, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, willing to suffer for doing what is right as Christ did. And in between these two calls to suffer is our text to prepare you as a Christian to suffer, to arm yourself with the faith and courage to suffer for the sake of Christ and for his kingdom. I'm gonna look at five encouragements that Peter gives us, encouragements and strengths to help us in our suffering for Christ. Look again in verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil, for Christ also suffered. Remember the suffering of Christ for you, that's the first encouragement. Our Lord suffered and we will follow him in suffering. We are to have a mindset, and if you go into it, you don't have to look there, but in Philippians chapter two, starting in verse five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the mindset that we are to have. Humbling ourselves, being willing to suffer even to the point of death if God should will it so. Paul in Philippians 3 verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 13 verses 12 and 13 so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. And then Jesus in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, in calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, 
let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus is saying, I bore the cross, you will bear the cross. The cross is what happened to our Lord Jesus. He was the greatest, most loving, caring, truthful, holy man that ever lived, and yet he was hung on a cross. He said in John chapter 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So point one, remember the suffering of Christ to encourage you when suffering comes. Point number two, Christ's triumph over sin and death has brought us to God. The greatest human needs are not to live on this earth for as long as we can and be as comfortable as possible in the process. Your greatest need and my greatest need is to have our sins forgiven, to overcome our separation from God, and to live happily forever in His presence instead of living forever in misery and hell. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And there's really several subpoints under this particular point. First of all, Christ died for sins. That was our greatest need. Our sins are our greatest threat. Isaiah 59.2 says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Vastly more terrifying than suffering for righteousness' sake would be to suffer the wrath of God because my sins have not been forgiven. But Jesus died for sins. Nothing greater could have been done for you and I. It's what God required. Someone has to die. The wages of sin is death. But Romans 6.23 says, But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We do not have to die in our sins. In Christ Jesus is forgiveness. That's why people will believe on Jesus even if it costs them their very life. The second point is that Christ died the righteous for the unrighteous. His death was a substitution for ours. He stood under the wrath of Almighty God that we deserved. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. He was utterly innocent. God, in his wrath, killed his own dear son to pay the price for your sin and for mine, transferring our guilt to his perfect son and transferring his righteousness to us. Incredible. It also says that Christ died once for sins, for all. It wasn't like in the days of the Hebrew nation where each family had to come every year bringing their own sacrifice year after year after year. Christ died once for all. Hebrews 9.28, Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many. There's a Greek word here for once. It's hapax, H-A-P-A-X. It means one time only an event that occurred, occurred one time with perpetual validity. Not ever again requiring repetition, everything secured by that one act. Christ's death was final 
and it was all sufficient to accomplish the forgiveness of all who trust in him. Our debt, as Blake mentioned this morning, according to the Hebrew word to telestai, means paid in full. It is finished, is what Christ said. And lastly, Christ died that he might bring us to God. This should bring comfort and strength in our suffering. Sin has been defeated. Jesus has secured our destiny and has brought us home to God. The separation has been removed. He is near us. He is for us. And our lives are hid in Christ. Hebrews 2.10, For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That's why in verses 21 and 22, God says that he raised him from the dead to exalt him to his right hand, having accomplished a perfect redemption. If you and I suffer for righteousness sake, Satan will tempt us to believe that God has forsaken us, that he has turned against us. But Christ has borne our sin. He absorbed the wrath of God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And he has brought us in peace to God. Remembering what Christ Jesus did for us will strengthen us to suffer. A third point of this verse, or a third reason why we should be encouraged in our suffering is a reminder of the days of Noah. A reminder that Peter encourages us in suffering. Verses 18 the latter part of that verse in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formally did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few that is eight persons were brought safely through the water there's a lot of debate about the actual meaning of this verse of where Jesus went to make proclamation and who exactly he was speaking to I'm going to give you one of those I'm not the ultimate theologian but I have read several theologians in looking for this men who are great theologians who I would respect and you would respect who differ on this but keep in mind the point of this passage Peter is encouraging us and trying to strengthen us for suffering who are these spirits and where did Jesus go to make proclamation? He did not go to hell. The people, it puts it in respect of the people of Noah's day. They were disobedient to the preaching of Noah. They were mocking him who was a righteous man, who was obeying God, just like the situation in the lives of Peter's readers. And Jesus in the spirit was sent by God in those days to preach to those people through Noah. Just like in 1 Peter 1.11, the Spirit of Christ was in the Old Testament prophets predicting his coming. So Christ did not begin when he came as a child in Bethlehem. Christ is from everlasting to everlasting, and he is almighty God. So Christ was in Noah preaching to the dis disobedient people of Noah's day. And because of their unbelief, their spirits are now in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. 
So this can be taken to mean that Jesus went to preach in the days of Noah to the people who because they rejected his preaching are now in prison awaiting judgment, the final judgment. Well, how would this encourage us and strengthen us for suffering? I think several ways. First, we are assured of the greatness of Christ. He is not bound by time or space. He was there preaching in Noah's day through his spirit, through Noah. He is still preaching today through faithful men. He will be with us to the end of the age, wherever and whenever we may suffer. Secondly, it's better to obey Christ and suffer now than to disobey and be cast into the prison of verse 19. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us, preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things which are seen, but to the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Romans 8:18. for I consider that the suffering of this time is not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. So the spirits in Noah's day thought it foolish to heed the call of God like Noah did. So they stayed comfortable, they stayed respectable, until the rain started. CCBC, I would say this to encourage you in looking at this, there is no disadvantage to you to be a small rejected minority. Verse 20 says, God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons were brought safely through the water. It must have felt foolish to be such a small minority. And if you are a small minority, minority with God, you will be safe. And the tables will be turned. If God is for us, who can be against us? So when suffering comes, remain confident. There will be great reward. The fourth encouragement that I see in this passage is to understand the meaning of baptism. The floodwaters that brought judgment on the world in Noah's day reminds Peter of Christian baptism. Verse 21, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is another verse which may confuse people. Baptism saves you. We don't believe that the physical being dunked in the water and being raised up is what saves you. It's an outward symbol of what has happened to you internally. And how does the flood in Noah's day remind us of that? That there were a few who put their faith in the word of God, who God put into the ark, which can be a symbol of Christ, and they went through the wrath of God and the judgment of God safely and began a new life after it was over. So verse 18 says that Christ died for sins and brought us to God. Christ saves us. Well, who is us? Whom does Christ's death actually save? It is those who are baptized in Christ who in faith have made an appeal to God for a good conscience. 
Baptism is an outward expression of an inward appeal to God for cleansing. And it, in this passage, it's clear that Peter is anticipating there may be some confusion from people when he says, baptism, which uh, corresponds to this, now saves you. But he quickly says, not as a removal of dirt from your body. So don't think that just going down in the water and getting water on you and being washed is what saves you. That's just symbolic uh, of what is being taught there. It's a way of saying to God, I trust you to apply the death of Jesus to me for my sins and to bring me through death and judgment into new and everlasting life through the resurrection of Jesus. Well, how does this encourage and strengthen us for suffering in Christ? We have passed through death and judgment. We have been buried with Christ in baptism. We have risen again to walk in newness of life. We have passed through death to life. Judgment is past. Paul says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the suffering that you and I are experiencing this life or may experience cannot be the condemnation of God. Christ has already taken that in our place. We have received that by faith and expressed our faith by baptism as a testimony. Our suffering is not the wrath of God, but the loving discipline of our Father in heaven in preparation for glory. And the final encouragement that I see in this passage is that we should look to Christ at God's right hand, ruling over all. Verse 22, Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. He had said in the end of Matthew, all authority in the heaven and on earth has been given to me. Take this as an encouragement to strengthen you in your suffering for Christ. There is no harassing, oppressing, deceiving, accusing demon who is free to do as they please. All the forces of evil, including Satan himself, are subject to Jesus Christ. They are but dogs on a chain. They can do nothing without his permission. And the final passage that I will read to you in closing is 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 11. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of this passage. We thank you for the encouragement that we receive to suffer on your behalf. Father, we thank you that the, insurance, the assurance that those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But Father, as we prepare to enter those days, may we remember the suffering of Jesus on our behalf. May we understand that he was able to make proclamation to the spirits in prison that he had conquered sin and death and has brought us to God. 
by faith in himself. May we be encouraged to remember the days of Noah as they went and passed through the judgment, as we have passed through the judgment in Christ. And nothing can hurt us and nothing can take our salvation away from us. May we understand the meaning of baptism that is an outward appeal to God for a good conscience. And the baptism itself is simply an outward expression of an inward transformation in faith. And finally, Lord, maybe, maybe we'll be able to look to Christ at your right hand, who rules over all, confident that he is in control and in his sovereignty, whatever he calls us to go through, he will give us strength to endure that all may, done, may be done for his glory and for his honor. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.